0: What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonsen. Today's show is part one with Dave Kalama. Um, super cool that Dave came on the show. This is something we've been trying to line up now for the last few months. And, you know, when we spoke, you know, Dave's up at four o'clock in the morning. He's hitting me up uh, asking if I can do the show, which was amazing. And, and he's like, you know, I've only got about an hour right now. And I was just incredibly stoked to get an hour um, picking Dave's brain. And as soon as he said that, he said, but I'll have some more time this afternoon if you wanna do more. I was like, what? Amazing. So there's two parts to the show. Part one is more about experience, uh, flow states, and part two is more technical foiling, board design, foils, all of that. So Dave was incredibly gracious with his time. He's an absolute legend. If you get the chance to work with Dave uh, by going to one of his Kalama camps or if uh, you're looking for a board, I think he makes some of the best uh, stand-up foil boards and stand-up boards as well if you guys are still uh, stand-up surfing. Uh, check him out, Kalama Performance, and um, you can you can look at all of his stuff there. So let's just jump into it today. Dave Kalama, part one, uh, and part two will be released in... Uh, the next few days. So enjoy this and hit me with any feedback, questions. I appreciate all of the support and the sharing of the show. It's awesome. All right, guys. Dave, thanks for taking the time to uh, to come on the show. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. I'm stoked to be here. And like most people, stoked to talk about foiling. So uh, yeah, anxious to get into it.
0: Nice. Um so before we jump into foiling, I've also been exploring uh flow state flow states. And given your trajectory through action sports or whatever you want to call it, I feel like we need to start there. Um and, mm-hmm. and use that as a foundation then for our for our foiling conversation. So, you know, how would you describe what you've been chasing for your whole life?
1: Um I think it's In a word, it's fun, right? But it's obviously, it's a lot more than that because um, to completely rearrange your life and make it a a central focal point, you know, it's a little more than just fun. Um, I'd say passion, following a passion, something that drives you every morning to get up and be enthusiastic um, is a great, a great way to live you know and a lot of people get to experience that but not everybody so it's it's um i feel fortunate to have a life where i have been passionate about something um for quite some time now um but yeah it's just i guess my whole life has sort of been predicated on fun but but more so really being passionate about what I do and and kind of evolving from different forms of uh, or different evolutions of surfing, but all sort of come from the the main umbrella of surfing
0: so many surfers get locked into one modality, so shortboarding um was there a moment when you realized that it was more about the state than about the specific sport? What gave you the confidence or freedom or, or ever ho- however you want to define it to be a kook again, to start over in new sports, to, to have better access to those um, states? Or, or would you define it differently?
1: Um, well, I think uh, using shortboard is the model. Um, if, if that's your entry point into surfing then you put a lot of time and effort and focus um, into it to become better and proficient at it um, you I think it's, an, it's a natural human trait to tend to invest emotionally um, you know into what has drawn that much effort and focus out of you and so you you tend to believe that's the best way to do it and and what a lot of people um that creates a bias and in extreme versions you could even go as far as calling it racist because they believe their their version is inherently better than any other version just because that's what they believe um but i don't want to get too far off in, in the weeds but yeah, when you when you invest that much time and effort into a particular activity, um, you want to believe that that is the right way to do it. And with that mentality, uh, it sort of blocks you from being open to other modalities, as you put it. And and I think that's uh, restricting, or it's, you know, it's putting walls up where they don't really need to be. But I understand it. You know, if you want to be really good at something, you almost have to put those blinders up. I know I'm contradicting myself, but speaking more to the very high end, um, you almost have to have that level of focus where you do put the blinders on and nothing else exists in order to become so good at it that you can make a life out of it or become very competitive at it. But, um, it, it is on the non world class competitor level and everything below it, it can become restricting and it creates a certain mentality that, uh, closes the door to all the other really fun versions of surfing. So I don't know if that completely answers your question, but that's my take on it.
0: It it does. And I think it's worth spending some time on because I think, you know, in my kind of explorations into these flow states and when I, and when I think about them, I feel like there's a pattern of people getting and, and maybe it is the social side of it. Maybe it is the, um, acclaim or the competition or uh, social status type, 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 um, setup. but you get locked into a sport and then to continue to hit the, you know, mental states that you want to hit in that sport, the consequence level has to climb and climb and climb. And, you know, if you're someone who's surfed jaws and done some of the heaviest things in water, um you know, you are, are you having, you know, the same level of fun foiling two foot waves as you were, you know, surfing really huge surf at Jaws and with different consequence levels? Like, how do you think that the consequence correlates to the state given different activities and different skill sets and different activities?
1: Um, Well, the way you describe it right there, I think there is a absolute undeniable connection between consequence and flow state or, or the level of attention that the moment sort of requires. So using Piahi is the example. Um, you, you almost innately are drawn into the moment because it is so intense because you, you understand The consequence or at least I hope you do (laughs) and the enormity of of the wave and the water moving is so much bigger than than a normal person's surfing experience that you you know you really feel like you're wrestling with dinosaurs it's just so overwhelming and and uh intimidating that your your psychological state rises to, or tries to rise to the level of the situation um, because it is so intense. And so, yes, there is a connection to the consequence, consequence because the consequences are significant, potentially. And so that draws you into the moment um, so absolutely that a lot of times you you... Truly do reach that flow state, um, as you referred to, almost involuntarily because the moment is so intense. And if you're not, if you don't allow yourself to get drawn into the moment like that, um, I think you're, you're increasing the chances of making a mistake because that means you'll be distracted. Because you need to be 100% in the moment to manage all your stuff. It's it's not. And when I say you need to manage, it's not you consciously. It's getting out of your own way so that your subconscious can manage all the little micro adjustments that need to be made. Your brain can do all the calculations and taking all the data on on microseconds, make decisions. And if you try and do any of that on a conscious level, because your conscious in all my paddle technique teaching and experience. Your conscious mind cannot process massive amounts of data rapidly. It, it can slowly and it can individually. But when it comes to coordinating several decisions and several commands throughout your body to make movements and synchronize everything, your conscious mind cannot manage that task. And so your subconscious can easily do it. It's, it's equipped and, and quite adept at managing decisions, um, synchronizing movements, giving the commands for all those movements, and that's what your subconscious does. But if your conscious mind is in the way trying to fight for control, then it's interrupting the the functionality of your subconscious, which then can open you up to making mistakes. But if you can get your conscious mind out of the way which kind of brings you into that flow state you, you're describing. Now you truly can maximize your performance because your subconscious is completely in control, can manage all the tasks that need to be addressed to manage the situation as intense as riding a wave, you know, a Pihi. So kind of on a non-scientific level, because I've never been able to manage that or figure out how you would, but my experience uh, and all the different forms of, of being on the water um, have sort of taught that to me. And, and my experience teaching people and learning how people learn, learn how people operate and, and recognizing that the conscious and subconscious have very specific limitations, but have massive potential in their own given areas.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you just said there. Um, I think you articulated that quite well. Is there anything that you have used to help um, get into those states? I mean, there are days when when I'm paddling out to surf where you know you're just not on, and you know it. And is there anything in those situations that you use to try to create the uh, the tapped in, um, focus, mental states, getting out of your own way?
1: Yeah, the and this is. Semi-recently, I didn't come up with this, um, you know, 10 years ago or anything. I'd say I've started to realize this more in the last, oh, two to four years. And that is, if you're not feeling it right out of the gate, and it's not there, obviously, by after writing a wave or two, and you can recognize that, then you really need to back way off the, the gas and try and increase your level of awareness. And, and the way I've sort of recognized you do that is you just, you literally almost go straight, right? And you feel the bottom of your toes, you feel your ankles, and you feel the connection between you and the board. And you just press a little bit and press on your heels, press on your toes, turn your shoulders, um, all all sort of mildly, Right. But what you're doing is you're taking away the objective of performance and purely sort of recalibrating or rebooting the system in a sense um, with the most basic, basic, basic tasks of just awareness, getting that feeling back in your feet, getting that feeling back of balance in your body. and But the only way you're going to do that is shifting your – your focus from performance and maximizing it to just awareness. And if you can kind of retap into that awareness and it might take you a wave it might take you four waves, but if you can reestablish that awareness, you at least give yourself a fighting chance to get back into performance and and now start to maximize, you know, your ability.
0: That's uh that's interesting. I've done something similar. Like, um, we skate a little bit and I'll go out and have a shocker or fall a couple times with my son. And then I'll just start at the bottom of the ramp and just ride the ramp for a little while. Just feel it. Mm-hmm. And it's a reset. I, I like that. Um, how do the states of, you know, the extremes of, of surfing Pihi, big wave spots, how do those states fit with you versus the states of foiling a, a two-foot wave or, um, you know, subsurfing the head high wave. You know, how, where, where does all that fall in, in line for you? How would you describe the differences?
1: Um, well, I'd say now, after foiling as much as I have, um, stand-up surfing has taken on a whole new sort of relaxing sort of state. When I'm doing it, I I don't feel. <clears throat> excuse me, I don't feel this um, sense of urgency or or um, sense of danger, I guess, or intensity like I used to. I right. feel like, oh, if I fall, nothing bad is going to happen. You know, I'm just going to get wet. Whereas when you fall foiling it's a lot more intimidating, or at least it is to me, because, you know, obviously you hit the foils, you're opening a can of worms. It could really go south. And so when I'm foiling, there's there's a much higher level of intensity just because of, again, back to your earlier comment about the consequence. And so because of that consequence, it draws you deeper into being in the moment, which is what I love. One of the aspects I love about foiling that, that something so um, sort of unconsequential in terms of conditions, meaning the size of the wave and and stuff like that, where it might not even be breaking, but you still have that feeling that, hey, be careful, be on the ball, don't make any mistakes, because things could really go south if you don't pay attention. And to feel that on a non-breaking two-foot wave it, it's <laughs> such a insane feeling because your whole life you've equated that to meaning almost less than zero. And now it's, you know, full on Um can be depending upon how you attack your turns and, and the speeds and, you know, all the other factors, you can make that quite an intense moment. And for non foilers, if any of them are listening, I know that sounds absolutely absurd and ridiculous But I think that's part of the appeal and and why people that do foil are so incredibly addicted to it. Um, It's just because of that, because just simply riding a foil uh, really draws you into the moment, which is quite terrifying because there's not many things in your day or in your life for some people that ever truly draw you into the moment and you get to just be like literally be.
0: Yeah. You know, I I have eaten crow publicly on this and I'll do it again in your presence because you were down in Costa Rica and we surfed together for a week and you were fully foil brained at that point in time and you were explaining it. And you know, what you just said there is so true because I didn't see it at all. I mean, I was living in Costa Rica, had good waves on tap. We were running up and, you know, getting barreled at little sandbanks and stuff like that. I'm thinking, why in the world would I want to surf foil, you know, two foot waves and I didn't see it until I had to move back to Florida and two years later. And I was just like, man, I should have listened to Dave. I wonder how many people think that about the early days of you being all hyped on foiling and didn't didn't give it the time at the point at that point. Um so publicly Dave told me it was awesome and I didn't listen. That was a mistake. <laughs> well <laughs> You're not the only one. Trust me. I,
1: I have very close friends that, that have very similar experiences, but it's, it's like you say, until you experience it, you, you just can't imagine. It's like looking at a bird and you can kind of try and imagine what that might feel like. But until you fly, you you simply don't know, you know?
0: Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, I think I could say I was just waiting for the gear to get better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm and, it, and it has. I mean, it yeah.
1: definitely
0: has gotten better. Um. Yeah. Well, you saw that early. Like, What was it? How did you – I guess we're starting to move a little bit into the foiling conversation here. We can come back to the the states conversation because I think they're so intertwined. I mean that's what I believe is hooking everybody. That's why the term foil brain exists because there's something about operating in three dimensions when you have margins on all sides. When you're foiling, you have – you know, an upper boundary, a lower boundary, and then you have to work your way through a wave. It's like flying. It's like the video games we used to play as kids where you were flying through a tunnel. Um, Mm -hmm. that's essentially what, what foiling is. And I think that you can't really talk about foiling without, you know, understanding why it's, it's such an addictive, uh, pursuit or, or such a rewarding pure, you know, you, you talked about purity there and I think that's an accurate term for it. Um, so with that little intro, let's, uh, when did you first, you foiled with the, uh, back in Piaxi days with, with Laird, um, Mm -hmm. at any point in that, in that time, which, which is well documented and folks can go check out, you know, any, any one of your interviews or, uh, movies, you know, on, on, on what's happened back in those times. But at any point in that time, did you foresee what foiling was going to become? um
1: in in a sense yes but there's a no component to that um back then it was just as exhilarating just as mind-blowing and we knew that if if people could experience this everyone would want to do it but it was much less accessible um and so that's where sort of the no comes from because you needed a jet ski snowboard boots, bindings, um which really complicated the whole thing quite a bit and and limited how many people would then have access to it. And so that was a that was a big hurdle, but the sensation was the same. I mean, that we would go foiling and we'd look at each other like how how did we get here? Like how what did we do to get to experience this, this it, it's like I don't know. It's like we found a wormhole, we <laughs> got to go to the other side of the universe, and it just didn't make sense. It it was incredible back then, and God, we we had so much fun doing it, and would just giggle that I can't believe we're getting to do this. It's like somehow we got that anti gravity skateboard from Back to the Future and we the only ones that had it in the whole world. And, you know, we, we wanted people to experience it, but like I said, you know, it it was hard to get one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, the wormhole idea is something I think about all the time. I grew up in Florida, surfed here. It's tough to be a, it's tough to be a surfer in Florida and now foiling it, I'm having just as much fun as when I was living in Costa Rica. It literally changed my life. Um, just to have, you know, having to move back and, and then having this on tap. It's amazing. Um, so incredibly grateful to all the pioneers, you, um, Laird, Kai, everybody who, who, um, who helped in you know, creating this. Um, in the second resurgence of foiling, if you want to call it that, how early uh-huh. on were you involved? I know you're tight with Kai, I know you're tight with Alex. Um, you know, did you have a role in, in, in the resurgence of, of, you know, the video that kind of sparked everything? No, no, um, uh,
1: I didn't, I, I came along after the initial sort of social media hit and resurgence. Um, not very long after, but I, I would say, you know, a few of the guys on Maui were just starting to get into it. And actually, uh, I ran into Kai down in Fiji and he sort of, um, coaxed me into getting behind the ski and just towing around on his stuff for a split second. And, and, and honestly, I was nervous. I didn't know because my experience, um, actually I had an experience where I took my old gear and I put it on a 12 footer and I tried to do it downwinder, and I almost killed myself and it was it not, not almost, it was the most humbling experience I've ever had in the water. Um, you know, almost took my head off a couple of times, had a lot of trouble getting up. It did not go well at all. And I did it, a complete Maliko run. I, I got up wow. maybe twice for five seconds and then nearly decapitated myself. And I paddled into Kahului Harbor with my tail between my legs and went, this is not for me, man. This is, I, maybe that line has finally been drawn where Kai is absolutely at the next level and I'm not going to get there. So when it, was this was, was this actually? uh this was probably about 6 or 8 months before um I got into foiling with Alex's stuff. And actually I got even <clears throat> one more experience prior to that. I uh, after the first couple of videos I saw of stand up paddlers putting um kite foils on their boards early, early on. I saw these guys riding and they were doing it, but it got it. They made it look horrible in my mind. Nobody was turning. Nobody was hitting whitewater and I was getting frustrated because I knew the potential that foiling had to offer, but it wasn't being showcased. So, excuse me, I got my boots out of the basement and made this board I could stand on and stand up paddling. And I thought I could maybe stand up paddle with the old gear into a wave and, and do what I used to do, but just on a bigger board. And my first experimentations were actually kind of funny because, because I was going to be locked in on a board that you wouldn't be able to flip over, um, by itself because it was so much bigger than what we used to ride. I had a couple of my buddies come out in the water with me and I said, all right, I'm going to flip myself over. I'm going to try and get into the worst case scenario and see if I can get out of it. If I can get out of it, I'll go try and catch a wave, but I want to address, you know, the danger of drowning first while you guys are right here to help me. So I tip over, get myself pointed straight down with the foil straight up and with the paddle in my hand, I, I got myself back to the surface and was able to just lie there and I had flotation on. So I was like, okay, it's not so bad. But then I thought, ah, what if I lose my paddle? So then I would start over again. Without the paddle, can I get myself back to the surface? And I, I did, so I was like, all right. it's Maybe not as dangerous as I thought. Then I went and tried to catch a wave and I couldn't get the speed to get up on the little foils that we used to ride. And I tried several times and I got super frustrated. And I was like, nope, not gonna work. <laughs> And then, uh, so I kind of wrote it off. And about six months later, uh, four to six months later, when I ran into Kai down in the Motu, he dragged me around on his stuff. I got up, I was able to ride it. Not well, but I was definitely able to ride it from my experience from back in the tow days. Um, which kind of opened the door to like, okay, maybe this is, maybe there's something here, but I didn't get excited at all. Um, and then when I got back to Maui, uh, I ran into a buddy, Brett Lickle, who had already learned how to do it with Alex's stuff, and he and I are close. He's like, "Come on, you gotta do it!" You know, he he obviously was in the full grips of frothing over foiling. Like, you gotta do it! You gotta do it! So I jump on it and I go do it once, and uh, I think I catch like two or three waves, and I come in. And I'm like, "There, are you happy? I did it!" You know, <laughs> and I, I wasn't. Next day, I come to the beach. They're down there again. Come on. Go get some more waves. So whatever. I'll do it. I don't want to hear you guys whine. So I go out. I do it two or three more waves. Same thing. I'm not hooked, you know. And then on the third day, I go out. Same thing. And I start to turn a little bit. And all of a sudden, bam, the light goes off. And it's like, I get it. And from that moment forward, I don't think I got back on my stand-up board for like a year. <laughs> what Threw was it? A- straight up to Alex's from from that session. Give me a foil, put a box in my board. I, 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 I want to be riding tomorrow. Just like most people, just uncontrollable froth. Nothing's <laughs> going to stop me from foiling. So that was sort of. I, I actually reluctantly found my way into it. But once I did, um, I think my, my experience is pretty common compared, to, uh, with most people. You, you just get absolutely hooked.
0: Yeah. You get to experience the ocean, something that you love completely anew with more speed and more access. It's amazing. Do you remember that first turn? The one that got you hooked?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was sliding right. It was not even, it was maybe a one foot little, roller swell no white water around and uh you know the first couple times I was nervous about turning I didn't want to get hurt and the idea of doing it without boots was really intimidating to me but uh you know with a little more familiarity and I was kind of feeling like oh well, I can go straight pretty easily so let's see what happens if I turn and then I, I turned once and I was like Ooh, whoa wait a minute that was kind of cool. You know? And I went back out, got another wave, made a couple more turns. And yep, like I said, it's just it is over. That's it. i mean, that man. you know what's funny is I, I do clearly remember catching a couple of thigh-high waves and going, all right, this is perfect. And then about a belly button high set came in <laughs> and I started paddling. And when I saw it rise up, I started back paddling. Like, no, no, it's too big. <laughs> and I'm, I'm literally laughing to myself that I'm backing out of a belly button high wave going, it's
0: too big.
1: <laughs> I still laugh at that moment, but uh, there's lots of moments like that. And I think that's, that's part of what's so much fun. And b- back to an early comment you made uh, in assessing the addiction is, I, I kind of look at it similar to golf in a way. Anything that sort of beats you up mentally, uh, hopefully not physically, but uh, by that I mean that's that's really challenging. Like you don't show up and just get to foil if you've never done it, right? It is going to take some serious effort and time to get yourself over the hump. Um, and... and not everyone likes that, but it seems like a lot of people do that when they're challenged with something and, and defeated most likely on your first attempt, you're like, no, I, I'm not going out like that. I'm not going to let this thing beat me, right? And so you show up again until you start to master. And when you do, then you're hooked. There's, there's no turning back, it seems like. so. But that, that, that challenge, um, I think, is part of the initial addiction that that keeps you coming back because it is it is difficult at first although it's much easier now with all the equipment and and design modifications that help make it easier at slower speeds it's still challenging i think
0: yeah it it is it is i mean coming from a surfing background it's it's not the same sport as surfing i mean there's a lot of things that are that overlap, but a lot of your surfing knowledge and and habits will get you really hurt. A lot of surfers got hurt early on in foiling just because take off on a steep wave, you lean back.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I, I, I equate it to kiting, like the thought of giving someone a kite who's never done it and go, Oh yeah, go kiting. It's fun. It's really fun. You'll love it. They're going to kill themselves or somebody else. And, and that thought is absurd. You don't hand somebody a kite and go go kiting, right? And and it's it's just the same with foiling. You you don't hand someone a foil board and go oh go foiling. Um, they're a danger to themselves or anybody else around them. But with a little bit of instruction, boom, you get through that initial thing. You do it much safer. You have a fighting chance, and so you just need a little instruction. You don't need a ton, but all those things that you just mentioned about surfing that work against you, you just you need someone in your ear going this isn't surfing don't try and surf it you know it's it's a different thing
0: yep um so this is going to be part 1 of the of the Dave Kalama podcast and this one has been fully experiential and so let's stay with experiential and part 2 if this is okay with you Dave can be all about gear and technique and all of that um is that okay with you sure Okay. Sure. So, so at the end of this show, we got about 10 minutes left. Let's mm-hmm. go through, I mean, something, a commonality that you and I both share is that we share the sport with our kids. You know, my son, Damien mm-hmm. and your son, Austin, um, you know, how, how had and that's one of my favorite things about it. You know, we have this shared passion and we get frustrated together and we have these amazing moments together and it's, it's a really cool journey that we've been on. Um, how has it been for you in Austin? You know, like what, what has foiling done for, for you guys together?
1: Well, it's been an incredible, uh, sort of conduit to bring us much closer in a lot of different areas that, that we never would have been forced into without foiling. Um, meaning traveling and, Working and sharing this sport and teaching people, and just all these things that would have happened had this not come along. So I'm incredibly thankful for it. But on a more kind of day to day experiential level, um, it is again a, a really learning experience, not just the technique, but having someone come along that. Learned so quickly and took it so far beyond what I could have done and where the sport was in general and, and to have a front row seat to that and play a little little role in helping to coach and guide him through through that learning experience, experience has been an, uh, wow what, what a, a blessing and it's it's so fun and at the same time you know I, I was up near the throne and got dethroned by my son. And so that's, you know, that's um, humbling, but it's put it this way. It's a double-edged sword. I, I, it can cut you deep or it can be used as a tool. Right. And what's so funny now is when I'm out and I'm trying, you're always working on your game. You're always trying to improve. And there are times when I see a section coming up and I'm like, all right, like Austin would do. It. <laughs> I'm literally <laughs> using my son as my motivation and inspiration to try and up my game, and I get such a, kind of a happy internal giggle inside when I hear myself say that because uh, it's it's just cool. I, it's just a really cool thing. So, yeah, I, I'm i feel so fortunate to be able to share this experience with them and and see it maybe create some opportunity for him
0: yeah well he's killing it i mean what he's doing it's funny because i was just thinking about this because he is <clears throat> doing things that are so far beyond what i have kind of my sights set on that i probably don't give him the focus that i should but it's because he's doing backflips and you know um you know reverses and ollie and things that i'm not even i'm not even thinking about it's not even in my conceptual scheme of what I want to do right now. Um, right. you know, it, it's impressive what, what he's been able to do, uh, back, back to the States and relationships, you know, you, you host camps, um, give a plug to Kalama camps right now. You do a few weeks every year on the I'm sure they're always sold out, but if anybody can mm-hmm. attend that, I've, I've had the privilege of being able to surf with Dave for a week and, it's insanely fun and also he's probably the most knowledgeable person that you can be in the water with for foiling or for subsurfing or probably longboarding too. And so if you get that opportunity, you should definitely do it. Um but uh you know in in running those groups and I did it for a long time in in Costa Rica, the bonds that you create over these shared states, it's like you've you've known someone for four years after you've spent you know a hard week with somebody and 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 had some of these some of these experiences has, has that been your experience as well and and what do you think attributes uh contributes to that you know bond that's created over these shared experiences weeks like that um you know have you thought well, about that much
1: um i mean i don't think about it too much but i know absolutely what you're referring to it's, it's when you're working with somebody over several days, you can kind of approach it quite differently than someone that, let's say, coaching you for a day. You can kind of play sort of the long game um, of how you coach someone rather than getting them as quickly to instant gratification and and making them happy they worked with you to more of a, let's really build their fundamentals give them a a sound platform to work from so that their ceiling becomes much higher and and they can ultimately hopefully reach their potential and so I really like being able to approach teaching from a longer play and you kind of go through this emotional mileage of working with someone when you have them for a week because it's going to be a lot of ups and downs and frustrations and and breakthroughs and it all those accumulated emotional miles feels like a lot, you know? I I guess it's sort of like dogs that just remember the experience and aren't as aware of the amount of time that's passing. And and so you just remember all that emotional experience and equate it with the person that's helping you get through all of that and uh it, it can really seem significant and, and create some
0: some uh, bonds yeah well and, and also i mean i meant also I mean, that for sure but also folks who are attending those camps and sharing those experiences together not necessarily the coach student relationship but also the shared experience of you know deep like i'm sure a lot of folks who come down to your kalama camps who didn't know each other before end up being lifelong friends after that fact.
1: Oh yes, that, okay. that's what I, I was referring yeah, to. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, you're 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 right on point. Um, a lot of people will come down for their first time to get the information and the coaching that me and my staff have to offer. But um, the reality is, as much as I don't want to acknowledge it, the truth is they typically come back because of those bonds that they form with the other campers and they shared experiences becomes the foundation of really the enjoyment they have being there. And there's a lot of other really good things about Namo too, the food, the the yeah. place itself, the beauty of the water and the reefs and da da da, da down the line. But um yeah, the the bonds you create with other campers um can become lifelong friends
0: yeah um all right how are you doing on time Dave you want to wrap this one now and then um yeah I should get rolling I'm, I'm meeting Alex and Austin speaking
1: <laughs> of uh, Foil toe, right now
0: um all right before we wrap up um we are. We have a part two coming up here in, in short order, but how do people find you and what can they do to support your cause, sponsors, the whole thing? Give, give us some plugs out at the end of this real quick.
1: Sure. So I got a website, davidkalama.com. I don't update it much, but there's some great stories on there and stand-up paddling technique information. Um, Instagram is davidkalama. Facebook to uh, KalamaCamp.com. camp.com. If you want to find out more about the camps down in the Motu and occasionally I do clinics in different places around the country. Um, and now I've got Kalama performance, which uh, has its own site on Instagram. So you can reach out to me through there uh, or Kalama Um, so, yeah, actually, my, my passion really now is, is probably the boards and developing foil boards, um, because that is so much what I'm into. But, um, all good sunscreen, Imagine Surf is coming back to life again, which is kind of exciting to be involved in that because I still love stand up paddling and I think it has so much to offer to everybody and, uh, you know, it might be your gateway to getting to foiling too. So, <laughs> a lot yeah. of kind of cool things going on, um, but yeah, that I appreciate the, that opportunity. Thanks.
0: For sure. And part two will be heavily focused on Dave's uh, design ideas and boards uh, and experiences with foils. So any foil-brained friends out there will definitely want to tune in for that as someone who is as addicted to uh, both design and foiling. I cannot, I have so many questions for you, Dave, about how you approach things and, and your boards and all, all sorts of stuff. So I think that one's going to be incredibly technical and meaty. Um, but I, I appreciate you doing this one with me, man. This was, it was really cool to to hear your experience about, you know, these States and how it's shaped part of your life and, you know, the importance of it for you.
1: My pleasure. And I appreciate you gathering all this information and making it available to everybody. It really is a valuable service to our whole community. So thank you.
0: Yeah, man. Thanks, Dave. All right. We'll catch up soon. Enjoy the foil. Take care.